Can you hear me now? Still not working? You working now? Better. Better? Maybe we need to yell. No, I'm not going to yell. I'll never make it do that. Is it working now? 13. No worky. That works. Only thing about that, it ties, ties me on a short rope. Huh? Oh, this should be on, though. It's, it's on. It's on. He just had it turned down. But now it's up. Can you hear better now? All right. That puts me on a short rope, which I don't like, but that's all right. I like to move around a little bit. Uh, they were asking me before we came in, does this lesson have a title? And I don't really like titling lessons uh, because uh, mine usually is not that exactly focused. But uh, one thing about it that kind of brings to mind is that uh, when I was a kid in school, it was always uh, impressive or something that caught everybody's eye when you came into school sometimes on Monday morning that the chalkboards were all nice and clean. There was no chalk residue on it. But by the end of the week, it was a mess again, and that gave me the idea of the opportunity we have in Christ to be like that clean chalkboard, where you wipe the slate clean, and basically what I call this lesson is a fresh start. That's what the gospel gives us, a fresh start. We can all think back through our life, and a lot of it's not pleasant thoughts. We think of all the things we've done that were wrong. We knew that they were wrong when we did them, and because we're human, we did them anyway. And then turn around to try to get them erased. But how, with just a little bit of, of cleaning fluid or water or whatever, you can make that blackboard or that chalkboard looked so fresh and new that I could never had a stroke on it before. And then at the end of the first day, after the teacher's written several things on it, you begin to see the residue build up. And our lives get like that sometime. At this time of year, we all think or talk about, I don't think about them because I don't do them, New Year's resolutions. And I guess for some people, they're a good thing. That puts a goal out there. But if you have a New Year's resolution, chances are we're 20 days into the year and nine chances out of ten you've already broken it. That's what New Year's resolutions are good for. It gives you something to break. All right, it's broken, now let's get on with it. And that's kind of the way we do sometimes. Tonight's lesson kind of fits in a little bit with our lesson by uh, Dr. Justice this morning. Whereas his theme was, be still and know that I'm God. And that's when you really think about it. Just think about that over and over again. What begins to build is what all that means and the importance and the value of it. And we do that when we think about a fresh start. 
we think about God's power, God's control. I've been reading a book that uh, Matt Griffin loaned me because he knows that one of my favorite authors is Max Lucado. And the name of this book is Unshakable Hope, Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. You know, the Bible from beginning to end is just promise after promise and after promise. But the important thing about the promises of God is that He keeps every one of them. We go out and we make promises, yeah, I'll do this, oh, yeah, I'll do that, and then we don't really care whether we keep them or not, and a lot of times we don't. But when God tells us something, we basically can take it, take it to the bank. And when we make our uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, sometimes we make them just out of habit because everybody's going to ask us, hey, you have any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, you have them off, yeah, yeah, yeah. But our heart's not really in it. It's not really that important to us, and that's what we have to be careful of. And I'm going to use tonight a verse also located in John 10, verse 10. There where it's important that he says, and he talks about, it, says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The sad thing is there are so many people that go through life and never know what that abundant life is like because they depend on themselves to produce that kind of life. And we do not have the power to do that ourselves. You know the word fresh start is a word, I, I think it's become one of our buzzwords today. Because you see advertisements on TV with these tax assistant companies and they call it the IRS's Fresh Start Initiative. In other words, they're going to wipe out all those old taxes and you pay just a little bit of it and you get a fresh start. So that's a little buzzword. You go in and you see the uh, system commercials and they all say, Fresh Start. And we all know that there are times in life where it's great just to wipe everything clean and start new. And we look for opportunities and ways to do that, but sometimes we have a problem of doing it. And I always think of the story that I may have told before, you may have heard, but I'm going to tell it again. About the guy who had the same habit I do. Every morning he gets up and he gets his nurse newspaper, and the first thing he does is turn to the obituary column to see who knows him that died, you know. And he looks through it, and there is his own obituary, every little detail exactly correct, and it just about blows him away. So he goes down to the newspaper office, and the young editor, he's standing in front of him, said, I, I demand that you print a retraction. You can see that this isn't correct. I'm standing right here in front of you. Of course, the young newspaper editor, he was a little bit flipped out. He didn't know what to do. He said, well, I can't really print a retraction, but he said, i tell you what I can do. I'll put you in the birth announcement in the morning and give you a fresh start. We'd all like to have a fresh start. All of our attitudes and our fresh start begins with our attitude, how we look at things, how things, uh, how we put them into place. You know, for many times over, you've heard the deal of somebody setting a glass up that is partially filled with water, and they ask you, what do you see? Ninety percent of the people will say, I see a glass that's half empty. 
Well, that's right. But some people say, I see a glass that's half full. So it's all how you look at things. A life, abundant life, is a lot like that. You've got to look for the good stuff. So many of us miss out on the good stuff, the abundant life, because we're looking for something else. We're looking for the trouble and looking for the problems. And I guarantee you there's always some way or someone where you're going to find that. So we have to decide, what am I going to look for? Am I going to look for the good stuff or am I going to look for the bad? Either way, you'll find what you're looking for. That's what's important to remember. You turn on your TV news, which I don't do very often, because if it's not bad, it's not on the news. All they tell you is the bad stuff. The good, news, good stuff isn't news. Nobody notices that. They're looking for the bad stuff. You find somebody that makes a mistake in their speech or something they do, I guarantee you, it gets ballooned out where that little mistake suddenly becomes a story in Technicolor because they want to broadcast. They want to point out everybody's faults. You go around looking for people's faults. You shouldn't do that. Look for their good points. I made a, used to do a lot of uh, motivational speaking, and I would challenge supervisors to try to catch your people doing something right. A whole new concept. And you'd be surprised when you look for it, you can find the great things they do instead of nitpicking the little things. You know, we have to be careful of that. We have to look for the best. But in most cases, we have a very uh, negative attitude. It's like the little boy who came home from school one day and said, Daddy, I, I think I flunked my math test. And his dad told him, he said, son, you've got to be positive. You've got to think positive about it. He said, okay, dad, I'm positive I thunk my bath test. You know, and so we have to be careful not fall into that. You know, uh, a Sunday night or so ago, I asked you all to do this, feel around, and do that every morning when you wake up. And if you don't feel any of that little fluffy stuff that's inside the casket, it's going to be a great day. And you need to jump up and enjoy that day because every day is a treasure. There was a story about a preacher that lived in a small town and no matter what happened or what went on, he always had something good to say about him. One day a tornado came through and wiped out about half the town. And everybody in town was talking, boy, I can't wait to see the preacher, see what good he's got to say about this. Until finally they cornered him and says, Preacher, what do you got good to say about this? He thought for a minute and he says, Well, we can be thankful every day is not like that. See that no matter how difficult the situation is, you can always find something good if you look for it. And that's what we have to be careful of. When it comes to our life, we have to realize our outlook on life determines everything. Attitude, more than aptitude, determines our altitude. How successful are you going to be isn't determined by how smart you are, but how you look for the challenging things. You look at things that happen that might seem difficult, and you realize these are just opportunities for me to develop and to grow. And we have to do that in our Christian life, too. That's what's involved in, the, in a fresh start. We have to start putting positive thoughts, positive things, positive ideas into our mind. And that's why it's important for us to learn to believe 
and trust in God's promises. This book that I've been reading lists a lot of things involving God's promises that are so impressive. And if you like to read and you read Christian writers, I would suggest that you make a habit of picking up some of the books from Max Lucado. He is an artist with words. He can paint such a picture that if you let his follow his thoughts, you'll say to yourself, Boy, I never thought of it like that before. One of the first books I ever read of his is a book called God Came Near. And there's one chapter in that book that every time I see that book, I pick it up and I read that chapter. It's not a short chapter. He's not a real one of these in-depth things that get so deep you can't follow him. He just tells little illustrations and stories that paints a beautiful picture. But that one chapter, he went into great detail to look at the birth and the real early life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, his mother. What she must have what must have been going through her mind when she held him, when she rocked him, when she fed him, and what that must have been like. And you say, I never really thought of that before. I never really thought or to think of what her thoughts were when she stood at the foot of the cross, saw her son hanging there. What she must have felt. So very important. But as I said, Max is able to paint pictures. This picture is taken kind of in a courtyard or a courtroom situation. The contrast between the rabbi and the king was very stark. The Jew, who was the rabbi, was old and bent. He had no bodily or physical advantage. Two years in prison had left him gaunt. His cheeks hollow and smudged. His purse had only a few coins. And his whole entourage was, on, entourage was only a couple of friends. Baldness laureled his head, and his beard was full yet gray. He wore the simple cloak of a teacher, a traveling teacher. Compared to the king, he was simple, impoverished. Of course, compared to the king, most people were simple and impoverished. King Agrippa entered the court that day with great pomp. He and his sister were arrayed in purple. Roman legionnaires followed them. Agrippa was the appointed ruler, the curator of the region of the religion, and the overseer of that area. Paul, by contrast, was a simple missionary. He had every reason to fear the judgment of the monarch. The king was the latest in the Herod dynasty, the last of the Herods who would meddle with Christ or his followers. His great-grandfather attempted to kill baby Jesus by slaughtering all the children in Bethlehem. His granduncle murdered John the Baptist, and his father, Agrippa I, executed James and imprisoned Peter. You might say they had a doubt for the people in Jesus' circle. And now Paul stood before him. He was in prison and in trouble for preaching a new religion. How would the apostle defend himself? Appeal for mercy? Call for a miracle? In what was arguably the most important speech of his life? How would Paul present his case 
after a word of introduction, he says, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. Paul's defense did not reference all the great things he could have mentioned about how, well, at one time he was noted to have raised people from the dead. He didn't demand any preferential treatment by saying, I am a Roman citizen. He didn't attempt to justify his action. He was only being open-minded. None of that. His only justification was, I believed in the promises of God. That's so vitally important to us to realize. But, so did Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Add to that list Noah, Mary, a prophet named Isaiah, and a preacher named Peter. The heroes of the Bible listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the hallmark or hall of fame of Christian leaders, were male, female, single, married. Yet one common denominator united them all. They built their life on the promises of God. They trusted and depended on God. You know, when we look at this and we see Noah, whose faith in God, building a boat before rain even existed. Until that time, a mist came up from the earth and watered the earth. The word rain didn't exist. But Noah still built that boat because God told him there's going to be a flood. He believed in the promises of God, and you and I need to learn to believe in those promises of God today. I can't imagine what it's like when it talks about Abraham. He had waited all of his life to have a son. And here's his son that God had given him in his old age. And God comes to him one time and he said, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice that son. I'm sure Abraham kind of did a double take. This is a son I've waited on for ages. The son that you gave me and now you want me to go and sacrifice him. But he never questioned God. He just got up the next morning, built him some firewood, had his stuff, And they took off to make the sacrifice. He had also told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to get all your stuff together. Uh, I'm going to take you to a new country. Abraham had lived there in that area a big lot of his life. And he said, I'm going to send you somewhere. Abraham didn't have a clue where he was going. But he trusted in the promises of God because he knew that God would do what he told him he would do. What we have to do is learn to focus on God. What does God say? And do I believe Him? You know, you ask people, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, I believe in God. But do you really believe in God? You know, when I was a kid, there was a guy that lived right up behind us, you know, maybe a hundred yards, and he was very ill. And my mother was a nurse, and she would go up to him and and help him, go up there and help him. And... uh, she asked him one day, he, he was an old man, and uh, for lack of a better expression, he was a honorary cuss, I will admit that. <laughs> he wasn't a very nice guy, and, and she asked him, says, do you believe in God? Because he had the reputation of being an infidel. Do you believe in God? And he says, you know, when you look around and see the things in this world, the trees, the clouds, and everything, he said, a man would be a fool not to believe in God. 
but he never did anything about it. See, he believed in God, but he had never learned to trust in God. There are so many people today who call themselves Christians, who believe in the existence of God, but never trust in God. Put your confidence in him and know no matter what, he's going to take care of me. Because he promises he will. It's not easy trusting in God. It's not easy doing what you're supposed to do all the time. Paul has said that himself. He says, boy, he said, it is tough trying to make sure you're always doing right. He said, I wind up when there's something I know to do. He said, I goof around and I don't do it. I do just the opposite. When there's something I shouldn't do, he said, that's what I do. It's a complete struggle all the time. And the reason we struggle sometimes is because we trust in self. That's what we talked about in our class this morning when we discussed the freedom that's in Christ. Is the fact that we're free only when we learn to trust God. And to realize if we trust God, everything will be alright. That's really important for us to learn and to understand how to trust God so that everything will be alright. Just a minute, we're going to sing a song. If uh, we can be of any assistance to you as far as the gospel is concerned, great. If you were here this morning and you didn't have a chance to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's prepared in room 100 during that singing of this song. You can get up and go out and do that. So let's stand and sing now.